0: Okay, today concludes our series on God's resetting of our lives. We talked about how faith should eat our fear up in the first of the four messages. We talked about unity instead of prejudice as we gather here together. Some of you are going to be more comfortable to come back right away. Others, it's going to be a period of time. And uh, that we shouldn't be judgmental about that, but that we can have grace and unity with one another. And then also we talked about two weeks ago, let the church be the church. And uh, this is a time for us to gather back together as much as possible. And I'm so grateful that through Zoom, we've been able to have online services, but that's through YouTube and Facebook. But Zoom has helped us with our connect groups for us to meet together, to study God's word, to connect with one another and pray for one another. And so as we provide all these different platforms, it's important, though, that we understand we're made for relationship. And as we come back, may we be even more faithful than we ever were before. Today, this message is personal as well as for us as a church, and that's living on mission, living on mission. And I encourage you to get, take your Bible and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I'll give you a moment to find that. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 16. This is a topical message. We're going to look at some very important and key points. And I hope that you take these scriptures to heart. It's so easy in a message to look at these verses but, and then just move right on. But I hope that you will meditate and even go back and look at them as they're on your outline. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verses 13 through 16. In the chapter called the Hall of Faith says, these all died, talking about the people in this chapter and the prophets. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I love that passage of scripture because it talks about the fact that they had a vision, a vision that they kept focused on in their entire life, and that was heaven and eternity and preparing for that. Well, let's just start with what is the church, just as a good reminder. Uh, in a series a number of years ago, we talked about the church being the hope of the world. And we defined the church as this the church is a dynamic group of called out or ecclesia. That's the, the Greek word for church, an assembly. Called out, born again, baptized people who assemble together and go out individually to glorify God through worship to fulfill the two ordinances of the church to equip believers to grow and serve the Lord through their spiritual gifts, to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission with the goal of bringing people to a mature relationship in Jesus Christ. That's a long definition, but it really covers what the local church and the universal church is all about. And we do that here locally here at Pleasant View Baptist Church through our vision and our mission, and our vision and the mission statements are these. Pleasant View Baptist Church is a multi-generational family of believers in Jesus Christ, seeking to connect others to God and his family, striving to grow spiritually and relationally, and finding our places of serving God in his church, in our communities, and in the world. This is where we come up with connecting, growing, and serving, connecting people with God and his family, growing spiritually and relationally, and serving God in his church, in the community, and around the world. So why do we meet? Why do we meet as a church? And why do we serve God as the church outside the walls of this church? I have this shirt on, the church has left its building. It doesn't mean that we just gather together here on Sunday morning, but when we leave and scatter, it means the church goes out into the community to minister to people, to reach the lost, to disciple people around us. You and I, we're on a personal mission from God as his ambassadors to glorify God, to become more like Jesus but advance God's kingdom in the ways that he wants us to do. Henry Blackaby says God's at work all around us. We have to find out what he's doing and join in the work. It's so important to know what the church is but what about why? Simon Sinek has a great TED talk a number of years ago on why. Why do people do what they do? People are inspired when they understand why a company does what they do before they buy a product. That's really the thing that really sells them more than anything. And and Simon Sinek, in his talk about the why, he talks about Apple Incorporated and what he calls the golden circle, and you'll see that slide on the screen. And the golden circle in the center has why, and then it has how, and then the bigger circle is what. Most companies focus on what they produce, how, what they do with it, what are they making. Other companies as well focus on the how. How are we gonna produce this product? But Apple Incorporated focuses first on why. And that's been the reason that they've been so successful in selling all their devices is because they've shared with people about the reason they make those devices is to make their lives easier, to make them more efficient. And when they start with the why, people are inspired to buy it. And then they talk about the how and the what because they make amazing, amazing devices. And so we as a church, we need to know the why. Why do we gather together? And so many of us, we understand the connect, grow, serve, and what it means in our heads. We have head knowledge, but are we living it out as our mission statement for our personal lives and also for our church? This is the point of today's message, the difference between the intellectual assent or the knowledge in our head and the heart, living it out. There's a song that I enjoy listening to from Years ago, by casting crowds, it says, between the altar and the door. Once we come in here, we should carry out the lifestyle that Jesus wants us to do out beyond the door. And so we must be inspired to the core of the why we are the church, whether we're in the building or not. We're to live out, connect, grow, serve through the lens of our human experience. This fits with our family, our jobs, our recreation, our business, how we spend our money, all that we do. A great illustration of that is that, you know, as my wife and I, we try to look for opportunities to intersect with other people's lives. And we had some landscaping done at our house. And we hired this young man from Pleasant Valley High School, a graduate of recent years. And uh, he came out and built our wall. And in the midst of the conversation, we found out he was a pastor's son. And so we had a conversation. We've invited them to church. Darren Smith, a friend of mine, recommended him. I don't think this was all by accident. I think it's a great opportunity to intersect with people's lives and use the connect, grow, serve as we go through life. So the first thing on your outline is this, and we're gonna look at four things today. A great faith, great faith. This is when our heart exceeds our grasp, or if you've ever been skiing, this is leaning over your skis, right on the edge of risk of taking chances for God. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is found in the book of Joshua, and Joshua is a book all about faith. And uh, in Joshua chapter 14, this little obscure story occurs there. You might remember Joshua and Caleb were the two faithful spies of the 12 that went into the promised land to spy it out before they actually went in. And they came back and 10 of the 12 gave a negative report And of course, because those 10 people did that, the Israelites believed them and decided not to go into the promised land and ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But Joshua and Caleb were the only two of the 12 spies that survived. And after Joshua was taking the Israelites into the promised land, Caleb came up to him and asked him this. It tells us in Joshua chapter 14 and verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, Caleb said, just as he said, these 45 years since that time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So Caleb says to Joshua, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard of that day how the Anakin were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And then I love verse 13. It says, Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. That Caleb, 85 years old, goes up into the hills, defeats the enemy, and takes his inheritance for himself by faith. That's powerful. That's great faith. So under that, we see that to have great faith, we need to first have a vision of God. A vision of God. How we view God is so important. We have to be balanced in our view of who he is, theologically. But then it's not enough to have that belief. We need to act on it. We need to go out and live as if he is a good, good father who's full of grace and mercy, who will bring judgment and wrath and gets angry about our sin but he balances it with love and care for his people. And when we live based on the theology that we have, then we're living out what God wants us to do, to have a vision of God. But here's the question. Is it more intellectual assent that you have about God, or is it experiential? Does following the Lord impact your daily decisions and your priorities? Does it impact your speech and how you share and what words you use to share with other people? the vision of God, you have to get that right first before second of all, you can get a vision from God to be able to know what he downloads into your life as a unique person, a special part of his creation. Everyone is unique and everyone's on their own spiritual journey in life, even a husband and a wife, as close as they are. And while they share many times the road of spiritual journey, each one is on their individual path that they're going to be held accountable for. And so we need to have a vision from God. And what is it that God is speaking to you about as we move through this COVID 19 experience and then on to the other side when we're able to gather out once again and to get back out into our community? Robert Browning said this in one of his writings. He says, Ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? We need to look at things from an eternal perspective understand the difference between lofty ideas ideas and ideals and doing compelled to do something about them. It's putting our vision or doing our vision with action and putting it feet to the to the road to do something about it. Joel Arthur Barker said this vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision just passes the time. Vision with action can change the world. And I think that we really aren't relying upon God if we're not willing to take risks, to step out by faith, to climb out of our boat of ease and comfort. And no matter how capable a leader or person that we can be, there should always be at least a moderate sense that the challenge ahead is beyond us, that God wants us to do something bigger than ourselves. Because when we do something that's bigger than ourselves or do something that only God can do, then he gets the glory and he gets the credit when it gets accomplished. There should always be that sense that there's something bigger, and in a cause that's far bigger than, the, than we are, that we're a part of a bigger thing called the kingdom of God. If it's not, where does faith and trust come in to our lives? Never forget, God uses your availability even more than he uses your ability. And that's what gets us through the times of doubt the periods of waiting to see what God is going to do. We must let our faith eat our fear with this COVID-19 pandemic. We must be creative to work for God within the boundaries that he's given us. In this time of waiting, what have you done? What has God prompted you to do differently? Maybe meditate on God's word. Maybe it's to memorize. Maybe it's to study passages of scripture that you haven't had time to study before. I think of the apostle Paul how he could have easily become discouraged and despondent when he was brought to prison and he was there in the dungeon. But what did he do? He ministered to the Roman guards. He was allowed to bring in people that he could minister to, one or two at a time. He wrote some of the most amazing letters in the New Testament. He used his circumstances to glorify God and do the work that God wanted him to do. Yes, he wasn't out there planting churches or Uh, building others up as disciples to become leaders or elders in the church. But he was ministering wherever he was. So as our county and state open up, we need to pray for the frontline workers. Pray for those who are sick and vulnerable to this virus. But we need to stretch ourselves in ways God wants each of us uniquely to do. We need to not just survive. We need to strive and move ahead and thrive for God to do amazing things. Stop surviving and start thriving. Look at the benefits and the opportunities that are in front of us. I think of the ways that we have already served. As we mentioned in the announcements, the food pantry. You've been so good about that. And First Baptist has been so appreciative of all that we've done and how we've been able to minister to 70, being a part of ministering to 70 or 80 families in a week. I think of the blood bank that some have gone to. I think of Edison Academy that the deacons just approved a sum of money to help uh, provide food for the weekend for people from Bettendorf and Pleasant Valley schools that they give out each week. But because things are shut down, they're unable to get the resources, and churches are coming along, and we are taking our turn as well. Our church has bought a gift card for a single mom who had to travel weekly to Iowa City for chemotherapy. We've done lots and lots of things, but what is God giving you as a vision for you and your family personally as you look for a new vision, for a new stage of life, as we look at the opportunities that are before us? It will look differently for each and every one of us. How will you and I get out of our boats of ease and safety to be used in new and creative ways? Our application is this. When you see God in all his fullness and majesty, remembering his grace and mercy toward you, how could we not trust him to step out of faith to fulfill the vision he has given to each and every one of us? In other words, based on your vision of God and all that he's done in your life to this point, will you not step out on faith when he gives you a vision of what you can do to minister to others, whether that be within your family or in your community or in your neighborhood? God wants us to not have just great faith but we must also have a great heart for people that God has created. The second thing on your outline, major point, is great heart. God wants us to have a great heart. Jesus had a great heart. As he looked at Jerusalem, he was overwhelmed and lamented and even cried as he saw them turning away from God and following the traditions of men, blindly following them into eternal separation from God. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus is lamenting. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. He could see their hearts and his heart was grieving, he had compassion, and he felt for the fact that they were separated from God. Do we see the needs? That's the next thing we see. Do we see the needs of those around us? Not every need is our personal responsibility. Not every need that the church sees becomes a ministry. We can't do everything, but we need to be aware of what the needs are and ask God what it is that we can do personally, or as a church, to minister to people. It's people over programs that's important to maintain the mission of the church. Seeing the needs, but second of all, serving out of compassion. Not just having concern, not just having care or empathy. Empathy is putting ourselves in someone's shoes and sympathizing with them and understanding what they're going through, but it's a commitment to compassion. Its action is doing something about the need. And we're to be Jesus to those who haven't yet intersected in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who haven't met him, who haven't crossed the line of faith. We're going to watch a video here for a few moments about a really good friend of mine. His name is Greg Baker, and he's involved with working with churches and also government officials in Des Moines with a group called The Family Leader. Uh, We've had him here uh, to speak once a number of years ago. But I want you to hear his amazing testimony of how he came to faith in Christ as he celebrates 10 years of being part of God's family.
1: It's hard to believe this, but 10 years ago I gave my life to Christ. I cannot believe it's been a decade, and I cannot believe how much my life has changed. April 18, 2010, I was a completely different person. I just came out of college, living a typical college student's lifestyle, a lot of partying. Extremely politically partisan, just overwhelmingly obsessed with a chess match of one side trying to beat the other, viewing one side as a clear enemy that must be defeated for the sake of our nation. I cared nothing about the Lord. I never read his word. I never heard of Peter, I never heard of Paul, I never heard of Moses, I never heard of Abraham. I viewed the Christian church evangelicals as everything that was wrong with America. And I looked forward to the day when Christianity finally went extinct because we wised up. And now I look at today and it just blows my mind who I've become. God has completely transformed everything about me the way i view my pocketbook the way i view people the way i view him see 10 years ago there was a pastor that was gracious and he saw me on this political campaign and he saw me living for something that was just an absolute waste that actually dried up in a, on june 2010 the canada was working for wasn't elected and I gave all my life to that, and had this pastor not interacted with me in April of 2010, a large part of my identity would have died. But he took me out for lunch, and he shared something about me that I never knew before. He shared with me that Christianity wasn't a religion, that was about me being a good person. It's about me being the opposite, about me being rebellious against a holy God about me being in desperate need of a savior. And that's who Jesus was. I heard of Jesus, I heard of the cross, but I never understood it. I never understood what that meant for me. On April 18, 2010, at Walnut Creek Church in Windsor Heights, I went up to this pastor, Terry Amen. I says, Terry, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And that next Sunday I'd be baptized and I've been in the church ever since. And it's changed me. I started reading the Bible every day. I started going to church every week. I started hanging out with believers and every day I was just different. And I'm so thankful. And I look at where we're at today where we're able to bring the gospel to people on both sides of the political aisle. And I'm able to love them as a person and better understand who they are and care about people just as God's creation, that understand the necessity, the deepest need they need, is the same thing I needed 10 years ago. So I thank you for being with me on this journey. I look forward to seeing what God has for the next 10 years, but I can tell you one thing, I won't be who I am today 10 years from now, because this sanctification process isn't complete, but he's doing a good work in me, He's doing a good work in you. Thank you.
0: As you think of that video that you just watched, I hope that you look around to the people in your life, and your spheres of influence, and you realize that you have the same opportunity that that pastor did to reach out to someone, to catch them where they are in life, to build a relationship, and share Jesus with them. I'm convinced many, many people have yet to really had an encounter and a relationship with a born-again person and hear a clear presentation of the gospel. Our application is this, we must be discerning and choosing the opportunities to serve so that we can stay focused on the vision God has for us on a daily basis. Some would look out and say, it's overwhelming, all the needs, and I can't do all those things. Well, God wants you to just do one simple thing. Care for one person only at first. And be discerning in what those opportunities are. Pray, seek God, and then stay focused on the vision that God has called you for on a daily basis. God is always preparing us for the intersection of of lives in order to impact others maximally in an amazing way. And then we see, thirdly, the great opportunity. The great opportunity. A book that I read probably 10 years ago is called One Heartbeat Away by Mark Cahill. It's a powerful book. It's all about personal evangelism, but it's just a constant reminder as you read these stories in the book and the way that he shared Christ, that people are just one heartbeat away from being in eternity. And where will they be? In John chapter 4, it tells us in verse 34, after Jesus was meeting with the woman at the well and the disciples came back after they went to town to get some food for Jesus, they found him talking to this Samaritan woman, which was pretty much forbidden for the Jews to do. In verse 34, as the disciples came in there, they said, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. There's three kinds of people, those who cultivate, those who plant, and those who reap. And many times as we're out spreading the seeds of the gospel, we don't know if we're the one cultivating or planting or we're going to actually reap someone, bring someone to faith in Christ. But the important thing is that we're faithful to go out and do our part. So we see here that we are to come out of the boat of comfort and safety We're to come out of the boat of comfort and safety, just like Peter did when Jesus encouraged them to come out and walk on the water. You know, we're talking on the elder board about how we must stay strong with the mission of our church. But how is ministry going to be different, at least in the short term going forward? How can we better connect in the community? Should we have less programs at the church and encourage people to volunteer out in the community, not just? for Serve Sunday, which is one Sunday a year, but on a weekly basis to volunteer in the Kiwanis Club or the Lions Club or whatever it would be so we can rub shoulders with those who need Jesus or minister to people who are Christians who are downtrodden and not going to church. For some of you, those words are scary, but for others, you may feel this is what we should have been doing for years come out of the boat of comfort and safety. Second of all, convince this opportunities from God and risk failure. As we said earlier, are we willing to lean over the edge of our skis? Are we willing to take risks based on what God has prompted us to do through the word of God and the Holy Spirit? There's a book that I referenced there about this book and how this man by faith stepped out and realized one day how important it was as he looked around and saw people dying all around him. What was he gonna do? He was gonna share his faith. Ray Comfort, others that have gone out there. Ray Comfort says that he's scared to death when he shares the gospel, but yet he's compelled by love to share the truth with others. We spend spend a lot of money and time to avoid death in our culture. When as a Judeo-Christian culture, we know that death is inevitable. Many people around us spend more time planning vacations and retirement than preparing for where they're going to spend eternity. So we're to come out, we're to be convinced, and then we're to be committed to stay focused on the goal with small steps daily. That's the important thing, is that we daily do little things that will lead to bigger results in the days ahead. And if eternity is really the big deal in having a relationship with the God of the universe who created us, shouldn't that be? in our decision-making processes of our lives. I like what uh, David Green, who's part of Hobby Lobby, he wrote a book called Giving It All Away in 2017. He said this, some people act like life is an oversized game of monopoly, where the way to win is to accumulate as many properties as you can, either by purchasing them outright or by clever trading with your opponents. Then you keep adding houses and hotels, extracting rent from others until eventually you drive them into bankruptcy. You sit back, you rub your hands together, and start counting your stacks of cash. Now life is more like Uno or the game of Crazy Eights, where the point is to run out of cards first. You want to deploy every card you have, knowing that each card left in your hand at the end counts against you. Don't get stuck at the time of your funeral with leftover cards, David Green says. So here's the application. We must act on the vision God has given to each and every one of us daily. We must say, God, every morning, what is it you want me to do as my feet hit the floor? What am I to be focused on today? Who will I come in contact with? Open my heart, open my mouth, open my eyes. And help me to share in whatever way you want me to do. And then the last point is that we all need to have shepherding approach to people in our spheres of influence. We need to have a shepherding heart. And that's the last point. It says great shepherding. The care for God's people and for people outside of our church as well. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4, Peter gives us this And when the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He gives a charge in his first three verses. And then verse four, he talks about the reward for those who are faithful in shepherding. Now, I understand that not everybody has the personality. Not everybody has um, the, the strong desire to shepherd and nurture people. That, in some ways, is the calling, and, and pastors need to have that as a part of their, of their makeup as they share. But each one of us as Christians, if we're going to disciple and, and build relationships with others on a certain level, we need to have the heart of a shepherd. And here's a story about a man who went to the Holy Land. I missed the opportunity to go in March, and I hope I'll get to go sometime next year. But this man was driving through the countryside in the small towns in the Holy Land, and he was pressed how many Jordanians spontaneously waved at the bus. Some of those who waved were shepherd boys. He said they were 12 and 14 years of age, and they were standing near a flock of goats or sheep, often in a very desolate terrain. He wondered how the animals could even find enough grass under the shade of the rocks and the trees that were there. Toward evening, they'd see the boys leading the flock back to their tents where the nomads lived, and what does such a boy do all day? Well, there's not much to do in a rocky wilderness all by yourself except look for shade and keep the sheep in view. And he questioned, how does a boy keep himself occupied? The Bible provides a clue. We see that in the shepherd boy, David. He must have spent a lot of time singing songs and throwing rocks. Day after day with the sheep, there would have been lots of time for him to practice his harp to be able to sing. And there certainly was an endless supply of rocks to use and practice with the slingshot. Did he ever wonder if he was wasting time singing songs on that desolate hillside or slinging rocks at at targets? Interesting, those two skills, honed by hours of solitary practice while watching sheep, proved very crucial in God's plan for his life. His musical abilities were put in the service of King Saul when King Saul was tormented with the spirit. David was asked to come and play his harp and sing and to soothe that tormenting spirit in Saul. Later, he would write the book of Psalms, which is a whole book of songs, and he would recite those songs and write them down. And what do you think about rock throwing? Well, that skill, of course, led to David's stunning victory over Goliath. The stone slinger emerged as a national hero, and as this writer said, he traveled the landscape of the Holy Land, he pondered all the rocks, they're everywhere, easy to complain about or overlook. Yet for David, they were the raw material that God used in a mighty way. Can you imagine David, little shepherd boy, going about his day and down the road, how God would use those daily little things in his life to make an impact. So we see that to have a great heart for shepherding, to shepherd other people, the availability for God's use. we got to make ourselves available. Availability is better than ability. There have been many talented and gifted people who, for the sake of ego, was never able to be used by God in the best way of their gifting. I'm watching a series on ESPN on Sunday nights called The Last Dance. It's the, about the... Chicago Bulls dynasty, it's really the story of Michael Jordan's professional basketball career. I lived over in the Chicago area most of the time that uh, Michael Jordan was playing with the Bulls. And there was one interesting segment in there because the Bulls allowed um, the media to photograph and video everything that was going on on the sixth championship run the last year in 1998 that the Bulls won uh, the NBA championship. And it's interesting that Phil Jackson was interviewed at the beginning of the season, before they even played their first game, Jerry Krause, the general manager, brought Phil Jackson into the office and told him that even if he won 82 games, won every game in the season, he would not be back next year to coach the Bulls. It's hard for me to imagine. Someone who was that successful was being told that this is it. One of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans. And uh, it's too long of a story to tell the backstory, but the coach was told that if he lost one game in the season, he would lose his job. And of course, he went undefeated and they won the Virginia State Championship. Oswald Chambers said this, if through a broken heart, God can bring his purposes to pass in the world, then thank him for breaking your heart. Think about that. We wouldn't choose to have our heart broken, but if we really want to see God use us for his glory and use us in any way that he desires, we should be open for God to do that. Oswald Chambers said also that the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. Who are you honoring and respecting and concerned about pleasing and following in your life. And then we see the awareness of the needs of others. The awareness of the needs in others. You know, we live, according to Barna, in the 15th largest area of the country that's post-Christian. Over 50% of the people in Scott County do not go to church regularly on a Sunday or Saturday night or whatever the week, day of the week the services are we're given the task of not only ministering to our own people, but discipling them so that they can be tasked with making uh, disciples with other disciples. That As we go out, that we help people to be curious about the faith that's within us. I just completed my um, survey of world religion class. I've taught it now for eight years, 16 semesters. And uh, I always like this time of year because they like to do extra credit. And I One of the extra credit assignments is watching The Case for Christ. And they have to turn in a two-page paper after they watch that hour-and-a-half movie. And one of my students, Kaylin, said this. She's one that's involved in spiritism and open to any kind of of spiritual things. She said this after watching the movie. After all the evidence and research that uh, Lee Strobel had done, he finally convinced that he couldn't prove anything wrong. I think it made me more open to Christianity. I was already very open to it and not against it at all. It's definitely easier to wanna to be a part of Christianity, although I think it can be a bit difficult with how busy schedules can get nowadays. One of my other students, Hanin, who is from Palestine, who's a devout Muslim since she was born, she said this as she watched the movie, coming from a Muslim woman, this was a really good movie that showed a lot of the good sides there is to Christianity and which could maybe help someone that is an atheist to think a little bit more outside the box with the information Lee Strobel found out in the movie. I actually thought I would go into this movie not really liking it, but I really did enjoy it, and I would most definitely recommend this to other people. It was a really good movie with a great meaning behind it. People are curious about Christianity. People are curious about the faith that we have, As I said, most people I don't believe are antagonistic. They've just never encountered a born-again Christian who would come alongside and build a relationship with them and share the gospel in a clear way to them. And then we see that we're to assist others, to assist others, caring for the needs that we see and anticipate. Grace and mercy are messy things when people decide to cross the line of faith and bring the baggage of their life with them, for God to straighten out. Sharing the gospel is messy. It leads to being involved in things that can make us very uncomfortable. In Jude chapter one, it says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by their flesh. We're gonna get dirty. We're gonna get messy if we're out there sharing the grace and the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. There's a great article in Christianity Today this month called Who is My COVID-19 Neighbor? And the author of the article said it's the person in our family who has the virus or is on the front lines combating the virus. It's the folks in your neighborhood, in your church family. But he also says that we're globally connected now because of the internet, because of Boeing 787s, And so our neighbors, as far as these things, can take us and connect us. Next time we hear of someone around the world, he says, that's suffering with a pandemic or starvation, it should put a face on things, on those people, and bring us to a place of compassion for humility and humanity, because they're not just a faceless number. Because we're dealing with a pandemic here that, just like they are in other parts of the world that we can understand now better what they're going through. And we see that. We have 180 plus countries around the world. And as we suffer with COVID-19, so do they. And we can better connect and understand them. Everyone in the world around us on some level is our neighbor. So our application is this. On some level, we must have, all have the heart of a shepherd. We all must have the heart of a shepherd, to care for people, to minister to them. So how can you be on the lookout within your own family, the church family, your neighbors, your community, and those with COVID-19, or who are you fearful of? What can we simply do to give them a cup of water in Jesus' name? What risk will we take to get the name of Jesus out? Here's our key thought. Every Christ follower must live a life of intention to glorify God and fulfill our daily mission for God in their lives. Every Christ follower must live a life of intention to glorify God and fulfill our daily mission for God in our lives. We start with the idea that we are left here on earth after we're saved to glorify God. That's the most important thing that we do as a church, to exalt his name. That's the most important thing that we do as an individual. But then from there, we have our daily responsibilities to go out and use our spiritual gifts, to use our our gifts to share with others about the love of Christ. So here's some questions to ponder this week. I'll leave them with you to look at, and I encourage you to uh, be careful to read them. But let me conclude with these thoughts from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Paul said, as he was coming to the end of his time on earth, as he was... Preparing Timothy to deal with the false teachers at Ephesus as a young man. He says in 1 Timothy 3, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And then listen to what he says at the end of verse 15. Describing the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth a pillar and a buttress of the truth. We have the truth. And we are to be a pillar in our community for the love of Christ. And then he goes on to say, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit after his crucifixion, rising from the dead, he was vindicated, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, And taken up in glory. Christ is our mission. How will you live out that mission this week? Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you. We're just reminded from your word. Of who we are in you. And who owns us. We've been bought by the Holy Spirit. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are indwelt with that Holy Spirit to be a temple that rises up and to point people to you in the kingdom of God. Lord, we just pray that you help us to uh, live on mission, to be intentional, to be focused, to have a connection with you each day as you download things into our heart and life to do, and to be sensitive throughout the day how we can be aware of people's needs and how you bring divine appointments. Sometimes we think they're interruptions, but they're divine appointments into our life that we can intersect and share the good news of Jesus Christ. There's no accidents when it comes to your sovereign plan for our lives. We're thankful that you use us as sinful men who are forgiven to carry out the work of your kingdom. Help us to be intentional and to work with eternity in mind. We just pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.